welcome to the Donnybrook Podcast. <laughs> this is your host, David. And you have what in your mouth that's compromising your speech? Amanda has brought over these absolutely fabulous... What are these called, Amanda? I'm not sure what they're called, but they're like a, an apple caramel treat from Lee's Candies, uh, our podcast sponsor for tonight. Well, <laughs> I hope you're not expecting me to talk at all on the podcast. <laughs> or at least move these things away from me, please. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, though you, you look good, David. You look very at home and very comfortable, and you'll be fine. I'm so. a happy camper over here. <laughs> and once that sugar hits your bloodstream, you'll be feeling... You'll be far more energetic. Yeah. Whee! Yep, yep. So, how's it going, folks? It's been like what a couple weeks. Good to see you. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah, it's a couple good, of weeks. Good to catch up a little bit just before the podcast and share our uh, our busy schedules and lives. But things are starting to wind down. Amanda, are you done with? Uh, are you done with school this week or is uh, it next today week? Today was the last day of school. Um, we do have, I know, yeah, uh, assembly tomorrow. So uh, I've got another hour and a half at school and then graduation Friday night. But. Other th- other than that, and the stack of grading on my desk, it's it, it's a qualified woohoo. It's a, okay. So how so when woo-hoo. when is the actual end end? End end. Well, I'll be done with work on Tuesday, um, but then I get on an airplane and leave for Rwanda on Wednesday. So there's not a lot of downtime in in my near future. Okay, so I don't know if we've talked about this before. Tell. Tell what you're doing in Rwanda, because this is not your first trip. No, this is, um, I think this is actually my fourth trip. Um, and I've been going to Rwanda for a couple of weeks, um, pretty much every June for the last few years um, to work. About with- four, would you say? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been actually, so it's been five years since okay. I started going okay. and I missed one year. So, you know, I was trying not to. Anyway. Super specific. <laughs> yes. I was trying not to get into those super specific details, but thank you, John. You're welcome. Uh, for clarifying. That's what I'm here for. Yep. Uh, so I go in, uh, with a, a group of people from school, and we work with a, a, our sister school in uh, Nagatari, uh, Rwanda, and I do teacher training. We do some English teaching. Um, we pl- have done a few small projects. We plan to photograph the student body. Um, a lot of the students are sponsored by families at our school. Mm. Um, and we're trying to work out some other ministry opportunities for, for the pastor that we work with there, um, trying to get him uh, introduced to the idea of campus ministry at, um, for the secondary schools and, and colleges in, mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. Kigali. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Very cool. And And you guys have done... You guys have brought resources over there in the past as well, haven't you? Yes. So over the years, I've taken hundreds of books over. That's what I thought. Okay. Um, we usually take some school supplies every year, but I made a priority of building a library there. So they went from having um, two shelves worth of books. Um, the first time I went over, uh, I brought uh, about uh, 150 books, and I think they're up to a library of about 500 books now. Oh, cool. Very so, cool. Yeah. And in what language? In English. Um, so so that- Eng- English is the language of instruction. Okay. Um, right. So Rwanda, after the genocide, um, the government decided to switch the official second language of Rwanda from French to English. Um, French they're, was. They're, they're laughing because I'm eating more of these. <laughs> yes, we are. It's okay. Discreetly or trying to be discreet <laughs> Whatever they about are. it. <laughs> well, as long as I'm narrating at length, you have time to eat. No, what was it you were uh, saying? <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so French was a colonial holdover from when uh, Belgium... Yeah, there was a fair amount of animosity yeah, towards... Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So um, English, besides being an international language, had less emotional baggage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and it wasn't Chinese. So It wasn't Chinese. It's still ridiculously hard to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, but so English language instruction in Rwanda is not at a very high level because everyone who does speak English um, is is speaking it as a as a late acquired second language and there's not a long history of it being spoken in the country. So it's still a developing uh, second language there. So. so does that make you, do you have to be then intentional about what kinds of books you're bringing? Like mm-hmm. I'm assuming that means you're not bringing Ulysses. Definitely you're not. not. <laughs> like probably not doing Shakespeare. No. Uh, well, actually I have, I did bring Shakespeare. Um, really? and Charles and Mary Lamb's Tales from Shakespeare. Okay, so, that makes sense. Yeah, so a couple of the teachers had, at the school had an English degree. So they'd gone to college and majored in English. Sure. And so they had specifically requested some works. Okay, and so sense. Shakespeare was one of those. But no, for the kids, I mean, I brought some 
a lot of very simple storybooks like Frog and Toad and um, lots of simple readers. Um, the highest level that I expect, like the sixth grade kids are are kind of at the edge of almost being able to read the Chronicles of Narnia. Chapter book type. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, and I also tried to bring a lot of reference and resource books for the teachers because I, I imagine it's very difficult to teach out of, they have very simple textbooks and, and no resources. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so things for them to read on their own or, or look things up in. I took a set of encyclopedias and cool. and that kind of thing. So yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. So I would, I, do you take into consideration with those kinds of choices? Like I'm thinking of a great chapter book, The Sign of the Beaver um, or by, by Elizabeth Spear and she's written several other. But it's bo- very American. But it's very American. Yeah. yeah. Do you have to yeah. take that into consideration? I think it's important to take into consideration. So I actually emphasize beast fables um in my researches and then i also so game of thrones is a big yeah no <laughs> <laughs> okay, <geez. laughs> sorry just... um yeah so like wind in the willows and twilight oh, yeah, would yeah. be a choice yeah no, no okay. <laughs> um and then i also sought out um books by african authors okay um and so the i don't have great connections for figuring this stuff out but what research i could do i found some some storybooks um, and some picture books by African authors, mostly by um, Nigerian authors, because mm-hmm. they have a long tradition of mm-hmm. English language mm-hmm. use mm-hmm. And, and a writing culture. Um, and then also some chapter books, again, for teachers um, by like Chinua Achebe and, mm-hmm. and some other um, some other African authors to, to kind of build out that... Um, Chinua Achebe. Chinua Achebe. Chin, I, I, I may not be chin, pronouncing that correct. Please don't. I think they, I just heard on the radio today, Is he, I think he just passed away. Yeah, yeah. To, today or this week? Um. Well, I, I'm not, yeah. I'm not sure. Okay, yeah. 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 Isn't it weird how you will go your whole life and never hear of a thing and then you hear it twice, like in the same day or the same week yes. like that? Mm. It is weird. And it's, I think, isn't that a universal human experience? I think so. I've seen. I've had it happen quite a few times. Okay, give yeah. us an example, David. I can't think of any. Examples. Well, then uh, we aren't listening to you. Yeah, go back to eating your go, things. Eat your... some more caramel apple candies. <laughs> well, I, I'm over here trying to remember the name of the rabbit stories, and my brain is so foggy. Peter Wait, Rabbit. No, no. Beatrix the... Potter. No. Watership Down. Watership Down. That's oh, the one. Oh yeah, Watership did you, Down. Did you, have you taken Watership Down? I have not. That's I a pretty that's high an, level. Is it too high level? I think so. And it's really like there's like philosophy going on in that and it's very right. british like very english culture. it's very western perhaps yeah. would be the way to say that yeah i mean wonderful book well well but in the willows is very british too yeah it is and you know is that kind of yeah <laughs> Chronicles of Narnia very is British. very British. Aesop's Fables though would be a perfect thing, Yes. I think. Aesop's Fables worked pretty well. Um I'm trying to think of some other specific examples. Three little pigs. Um <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I did take Beatrix Potter, um, oh, yeah. and it was a big hit, which is which um, is very British. But yeah, yeah. But again, with with animals, you it, it you avoid the weird thing where all the illustrations are of white people, it, yeah, and yeah, 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 and that the stereotypes kind of get yeah washed out a little right. bit. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So I'll I'll leave on next Wednesday, and we'll be there for two weeks, and. So at what point in this adventure do you get crabby as an introvert? Oh my goodness. As, what, like <laughs> in the airport on the way there. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Actually, um, I find uh, airplane rides terrifically physically uncomfortable, but actually pretty great as an introvert because there's a social expectation that you just sit there and concentrate on whatever you like people don't talk to you unless you show yourself open to talking and you get to watch terrible movies um i do it's the one time a year that i watch terrible movies whatever's whatever's on the airplane is what i watch watch. john wick 2 and is that going to be on the airplane i I don't know um and uh, yeah but i can just put in my overboard uh, put on my headphones my noise canceling headphones and just sit there silently so I, yep. I usually kind of hope that I get seated away from the rest of my group. Starship Troopers. But, oh, yeah. I've seen that one twice. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the MST3K version. 
Uh, Starship uh, Troopers. Yeah, now you're you've outnerded me. Sorry. Ooh. Mystery Science Theater three thousand, um, where you have two robots and a wisecracking guy, two wisecracking oh, robots and, and a wisecracking guy commenting on, on the terribleness of the movies. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they did a live theater event with Starship Troopers, and I went with Brent and. Oh, that watched. must have been. Did they, did they have a? Did they have a, like a script they were kind of going off of? No, it was a. It was a live they simulcast. Totally they, it was. It? I guess so. I mean, I assume that they had prepared some ideas, some jokes. Yeah. They'd definitely seen the movie before. <laughs> but. I, I don't. I don't understand the following to the movie. Like, yeah, I don't either. Okay, of Starship I, Troopers. Like, I get Monty Python and the stupidness of Monty Python, and I get. There, there are certain films that are cult followings that are just that, that haven't aged well. Starship Troopers is just terrible. Well, and it's based on terrible source material too. Yeah. Robert Heinlein just has a problem. Well, well, who is who? Who is that? Does he have any other He's a, things I would know? Um, Stranger in a Strange Land. No. No. Okay. He's okay. a one of the sci-fi name, the big sci-fi names. Okay. Uh, wrote a lot in the '60s. But like when you say big sci-fi names, you mean like. Of he's up Pulp there with like Isaac, Isaac Asimov. Isaac, okay. mm-hmm. I mean, he's he not considered, I think, as as highly as Asimov with the mm-hmm. philosophical issues, but he was very popular and very well regarded. Right. Pulp so, fiction. Yeah. 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 All right. Okay. So that was a weird rabbit trail. That was a weird I, rabbit trail. I want to know what you guys are reading right now. Oh, that's a great question. Oh, what are you reading, John? Why do we... I'll, I'll tell you my my book my book related story, but it's not a reading story per se. Um, <laughs> what else I, do you do with books? Well, I've been sorting them. Oh, so I <laughs> I was. Um, are you allowed to tell this story? Why would I not be allowed to tell the story? Uh, I don't know. Are you, what are you? Maybe, maybe it's not the story I'm thinking of. <laughs> I don't know what story you're thinking of. Now, now I want to know what story you're thinking of. It sounds more entertaining. Um, so I've been going through uh, the library that I inherited from the, the 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 pastor that I just uh, replaced and I've been so when when I took over I was given his two offices um right. he has he had an office in like a counseling room that was a, a, adjacent to it and so it's a fairly a fairly sizable space between the two between the two rooms um and and one room had really just become like a storage area for him where he had multiple bookshelves in there and like there was a table in there but the table had kind of accrued stuff and so it wasn't <laughs> like it, it, in theory you could clean things up really quick and it could have turned into like a closed door counseling um area but that I don't know that I ever saw that actually used in that way um and so so in that room there was books and then in his his primary office area there were books and then I brought books to the game and so um, so some of this I'm just having to sort through and figure out, you know, what what am I going to use and what am I going to get rid of and and what am I going to, in a, in a sense, put on like hold. Like there's a lot of resources that maybe I don't have an immediate need for, but maybe they're like they're, parents always want resources for, you know, parenting mm-hmm. or teens or mm-hmm. so there's books like, um, you know, by Dobson, like those are common books that people are going to use as reference material for um for dealing with an angry child or disobedient child whatever so so there's a fair amount of that but it's been an interesting process deconstructing that and seeing kind of the general genres that that his library falls into right and uh and just unpacking not a lifetime because he he did this for um, it's like a second phase of life, kind of similar to what, well, almost identical to what what I'm doing. He took uh, he he started into the ministry uh, at 40, and uh, it's been interesting to look through those books and realize that he had uh, a bunch of books on on. Well, let me see. Let's play a little game. What what? So obviously, all centered primarily around Christian themes, mm-hmm. books that you would pick up at. Um, you know, bankrupt book booksellers around the nation. Right. Um, so, <laughs> what what would you guys expect those um, divisions to be? We already mentioned parenting books, but marriage books. I would, yep, I marriage books is a big a category. Uh, finance, finance mm, is like a, Dave Ramsey type stuff. Or? Yeah, Larry Burkett. Yep, he had almost oh, no wow. books in that in that genre. Okay, oh. interestingly enough, um, and you'll have a whole bunch of end times books. 
Mm-hmm. Maybe Tim LaHaye. Okay. Tim LaHaye series. He, and again, Hagee. But I, I would, I would have guessed, and that would be what I would have. But again, no, not not a priority of his. Hmm. For you know, an in time, his eschatological library was about two or three books. Okay. Oh, wow. Surprisingly. Okay. Any other guesses? Um, well, you probably have. Um, there, there was in along that line. There was a uh, a series of books called Bondage Breaker about like demon. Oh yeah, I remember those being really popular. Neil Anderson, I think, was the yeah, name. He yeah, had yeah, a, yeah, yeah. A whole bunch of like. I think I went to a Neil Anderson conference when did I was like you really? thirteen. I, what do you, uh, do you have any memories? Not or? really. I just remember like a, an obsession sweeping through the church for a while about being very worried about praying against particular bondages from ancestral sins and yeah i just wait wait wait. did you say this- ancestral or incestual <laughs> i said ancestral <laughs> okay, <laughs> ancestral. okay. Sin- sins of the parents and the grandparents right, and right, that right. somebody might have have placed a bondage on you because of their yep. involvement in mormonism so or was something this, was i just this, i remember this. Was this conference a you throw them on the floor kind of conference i don't remember that bring up okay. the snakes no yeah. i do remember oh this is funny i actually had this um uh, remembered this just the other day. Uh, there was like a real serious altar call, um, God's call on your life to a uh, to missionary work, and I remember not. I did not want to go up, and because I didn't want to be a missionary, I didn't want to do mission work ever. Rwanda, and <laughs> I, I, so I didn't go up, and um, here we are, uh, years later, and I go on mission trips all the time. <laughs> no. I had almost the exact same thing happen when I was young. Did you? Like, I did not want any part of that. Yeah. And but you, you feel the pressure. Right. Right. And right. maybe it's God's call on your life or maybe it's all of your friends, you know. Yeah, yeah. When I was a kid, I went to uh, Power Team, the Power Team. Went and oh saw the Power Team. Gosh. What's the Power Team? Oh, oh, you don't know this? No, I don't know this. Oh, wow. The Power Team, there's these humongously buff guys. This oh, is what no. happens when Christianity and steroids get together. <laughs> no. And they would like, no. you know, rip phone books in half. Or, oh, my you goodness. You know, to demonstrate the power of You Jesus. know, that's, that's mostly technique, and, not strength. And they would like, right? like you know, break break ice these big ice things yep, with yep. their forehead and and um oh yeah to, to the, the glory of god of yeah, 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 yeah 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 it's pretty it's pretty entertaining i wish we were a, a um visual medium and we could just pull it yeah. up and watch some yeah. of their the videos team is like the christian equivalent of the wwe like it was yeah. that's it was famous when hulk hogan hulk hulk, hulk. Hogan. Hulk. Yeah. However you say The his guy name. with the like bandana and blonde yep, hair. Yep. yep. And the, and How the do I know that? Hairline. But yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, because we all, we all endured the 80s together. Right. So <laughs> it's very 80s. Yeah. <laughs> so how in the world did we get there? Hulk, I don't know. But Hogan. David asked what we were reading. This now I want to know what David oh, yeah, has yeah, been yeah. reading. So, so the library. So here's the interesting thing. So there was books on. There were there were books on leadership, lots and lots of books on leadership, all from a Christian oh, okay. standpoint, like MacArthur which, type stuff. And- um, yeah, it, it, there was I mean, just a, a a variety. There was a MacArthur, mm-hmm. there was a McDowell uh, leadership Bible. Oh my! Um, the entire Bible. With- Ask me my feelings about branded Bibles someday. <laughs> <laughs> you mean money grab Bibles? Yeah. You're not going to put out the Amanda Patchen authorized edition? Nope. <laughs> Nor am I going to buy the. Oh, don't you want what's the your... C.S. Lewis edition? Oh, jeez. You... Oh, yeah. What's your opinion on the message? That's um, another podcast. That's for a totally day. different podcast. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, so. Lots of leadership books. It was just interesting. Yeah. Lots of leadership books. Lots of books. Uh, I mean, there was, there was a, you know, a fair number of. of uh, academic kind of you know commentaries mm-hmm. and things of that nature, but it was just an interesting process to unpack a person's entire life mm-hmm. of of reading and say these are the things that were important to this person, mm-hmm. and these are the things that were, um, and, and and these are the things that weren't, and what what are the things that endure out of this? It, it mm-hmm. made me very self-critical of what i'm going to and rather than what is your <laughs> rather than pulling out and going he read neil anderson what a you know like i didn't i didn't come away at all just judging the the content of of his library i just came away going huh i wonder how much of the material that we turn to will actually endure and how much more i should mm. just be spending time in the word the word yeah, yeah that that was really the takeaway that i had so that's really great 
How about you, Amanda? What are you reading? Um, well, I am in a reading slump right now. Um, I think it's been a week and a half since I finished a book. So <laughs> that's, and that's a pretty serious slump for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm in the middle of uh, three books right now, rereading Jane Austen's Sense and Sensibility for the 700th time. Because why not? Because, well, because I'm in a reading slump and nothing better to get you out of one than a little Jane Austen. Um, and I'm reading a book called The uh, the Deep Things of God, How the Trinity Changes Everything, which is about how Trinitarian theology is deeply enmeshed in evangelical theology, even though it's not always clearly articulated. So the, the Trinitarian underpinnings of evangelical emphases. Um, and so that's been really interesting, um, although it is a little slow Probably going. not a page turner, though. It's not... And partly because I picked it up thinking it would be more of an exploration of Trinitarian theology and less of a defense of evangelical Trinitarian bona fides. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm, I'm in the first third of it, so we'll see how it goes. Um, and then I'm also reading um, Nicholas Volterstorff's... Um, Ooh, Nicholas Volterstorff. Yes. yes. I Nic- really do. Uh, he's part of, really he's part of House Slytherin. Nicholas Volterstorff. It starts with a W. Um, so Nicholas Volterstorff is a the philosopher, w- and his it's a book on liturgical theology. So his the the idea is what does the fact of litur- liturgy, not just specific liturgical practices. Um, or specific liturgical traditions, but the fact of liturgical practice in the Christian church tell us about God. Um, Hmm. We, by enacting these um, liturgical practices, we are implicitly believing something about who God is and what kind of God we're worshiping. He's the kind of God that we can say things to, like a prayer of repentance or um, say things like, you know, holy and mighty, holy immortal one. The, he's the kind of person, he's the kind of being that that address makes sense to. And so what does that tell us about God? So, and I'm I'm just starting that one. I'm in the, I think the second chapter. So, um, and that's, that's been really, and that's tra- been really interesting. Not a page turner in like a traditional sense, but right, it's right. really rich and, mm. and really intriguing. I, I'm reading a book called, I Don't Want to Talk About It. Oh. Which is a, uh, a book about male depression. Oh my! And um, and, and not a page turner, not not super a- academic, but it's not one of those books that you're like, oh, I just can't wait to find out what's on the next page. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm using it. Uh, I'm, I'm reading it before I go to bed at night, and so I, I I'll read a couple pages a night. And yeah, it's really great reading, reading about a... depression before yeah, you go to bed at night. So Melissa walks in every night, and she's like, <laughs> "So how's your book?" And like, she's basically <laughs> mocking me. And, and, and are you able to make the same joke every single? Night? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah uh, his premise is interesting where he's talking about how uh many that because it's socially acceptable for women to admit to uh mm. overt depression that many men struggle with covert depression that if they were just honest with themselves they would just name it and they would get the help that they need but because they don't it then manifests itself in things that are considered uh, I mean, not just considered things that are socially inappropriate or, or so he would say like, um, uh, midlife crisis kind of things, midlife crisis kind of things. But like, uh, like, um, physical abuse of your spouse mm-hmm. is a, is a acting out of depression. depression. Huh. We just haven't named it as depression because you hate yourself and you're taking that out. On- yeah. And he does some really interesting things statistically where he says, if you look at the number of women who are being, um, treated for overt depression and you take the number of men uh, the percentage of men who are being treated for overt depression plus all these other like plus alcoholism plus uh, abuse situations plus socially unaccepted behavior like narcissistic type behaviors mm-hmm. um, that manifest themselves more often in men um, that uh, that those numbers kind of even out a little bit, right? Which is re- re- very very interesting. Although really depressing, because when you said abuse statistics, that's men who are abusing, right? It's men yes. who are abusing their yeah. spouses because and, and his he's not making any kind of uh, excuse for that behavior. No, no, no. I, I wouldn't imagine that yeah, he yeah, was. But, it's but just, there's just something that's really just so disheartening about 
like how discouraging that that men don't have this the social space to actually feel their feelings and deal with their feelings as as feelings and instead you know we have this a huge cultural trend of of them enacting those feelings on somebody yeah. that's vulnerable yes but i would say that's probably he, he, his point is that's been going on mm-hmm. forever yeah essentially oh no i i would yeah i mean i don't have the sociology to back that up but sure. that that I would agree. This is depressing. Let's talk about something well, else. What's I was this? just going to say, you're reading this book. I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> I have a I have a, sec- a next book uh, right. suggestion for you. Oh, okay. So it's called Joy. Um, <laughs> and it's a collection. Melissa will appreciate yes, that. Yes. It's by Christian uh, Christian Weiman or Weiman. I'm not sure. Um, Again, and it's a collection w. of, yeah, with the W thing. It's a collection of 100 poems on joy. Oh, and fantastic. so it'd be really, you could just like read a couple pages. And then when your eyes are getting heavy, just read a poem on joy. And there we then, go. And then Perfect. go to sleep. That might be. That's yeah. probably a better. Better, <laughs> better nightcap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I would just like to say. That in general, I find the poetry genre to be difficult. Mm. Do you know why that time. is? No. It's because poetry is difficult. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for validating my feelings on the subject. <clears throat> so you're bringing all poetry to rule. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, I did. Rwanda this I year. did bring a, a collection of poems uh, with illustrations. Uh, last time and and it actually went over really well sure so sure because some are some are really accessible i think the poetry that i like the most is the poetry that's the least like poetry and the more like a story Mm -hmm. or or narrative poetry poetry. or poetry that gets so caught up in itself that it becomes like like um the edgar Allan poe poetry with the internal rhyming yeah like um uh, annabelle lee yeah. I really like that because not only does every line rhyme, but every half of every line mm-hmm. rhymes. And he managed to make it this beautiful thing that, and he managed to just keep going with it over and over and over that I, I appreciate the artistry of that. But I just have a hard time with poetry in general, well, especially non-rhyming poetry. It's just mm-hmm. pretty words that don't really like, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm kind of a dummy head. <laughs> So, so for you, out of out of my, uh, I don't want to talk about it, John. And you should read *The Wasteland* by T.S. Eliot. You'll be fine. Be, <laughs> yeah, that go. that's a great plan. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, uh, not he can do measure that, out John. his life in teaspoons. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. well, yeah. I mean, I don't know if if you if you don't enjoy it or if you don't find it accessible. Like, it's kind of a hard thing to be like, no, really, just discipline yourself to get into it. But right. I think, I mean, I find it really difficult at times. And I mean, I have two English degrees, so theoretically I should have the the training for it, but um, it can be so rewarding if you're patient with it and like go to it for what it can do, which it, I think it's really good at evoking a mood or a, a feeling that's otherwise almost impossible to describe or, or share. And so the mm. the way that poetry can identify or name or or just embody something that I have a hard time even understanding in myself, much less having anyone that I can communicate it to. You know, when you're when your feelings and I know you men aren't supposed to have those, but um, <laughs> when you're I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, fact, you don't, don't want to talk about it. Don't want to talk about you it. You don't want to talk about it. <laughs> um, but it can be really, I don't know, isolating or disheartening to to feel something strongly and and not have the words for it or not have a way to to effectively communicate it um, or to try to communicate it and then feel like it gets cheapened or or somehow corrupted in the communication. Like you you meant to communicate X and you managed to communicate X minus 1000 and that just didn't yeah. didn't help and yeah. and poetry does that for me so yeah. and i think for a lot of people but but if you've... i don't think it's for a lot of people like as as like i don't think it's a majority of people it, if if by a lot of people we mean two or three or five percent of the population yeah. at times seven billion people that's a lot of people then sure but well and spread out through time and space sure, sure, right sure. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah, um, the breakthrough for me came with reading a lot of English language haiku. Um, some years ago, I picked up a, a haiku anthology, mm-hmm. and um, and that was it was really enjoyable to read. Um, they're just very tiny moments captured in very few words, 
And so just appreciating each moment as, you know, I didn't, there was no narrative here or anything, but there, there was just a moment and, and some of them really resonated for me. And then picking up a, um, a collection of haiku by one single author who just, I think he's very gifted, but just really resonated with me. That, that helped me find more poetry accessible because haiku are very understandable. They're very short. You don't have to sustain your attention for a long time. And right. I knew exactly the, the experience I was going to get with each one. So it, it kind of opened up that aesthetic experience yeah. for me. So, yeah. 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 Uh, so maybe try some English language haiku. All right. I'll give that a shot. If you want. Yeah. Or don't. Or don't. You know. Or read more Edgar Allan Poe. He, he's pretty fun too. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so David, you had a question this week. I, are we going to revisit that question or what? You, yeah, you wanted I, uh, to... I was, I mentioned this to you a little earlier, but I know um, in the past we've talked a little bit about it, but you're, you're, you're Amanda, you're a proponent of um, infant baptism, right? Well, I had my infants baptized. So you would be a proponent of infant baptism. <laughs> well, when you say proponent, you, you sound like I'm out there. I'm out there preaching it. Um, well, okay, so I, I, I want to understand. So okay. I, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand um, the purpose of instant of infant baptism. Instant baptism. Instant baptism. <laughs> Just add water. <laughs> instant baptism's a whole other thing. <laughs> <laughs> Look here. There's water here. What is? <laughs> but I I would like to understand the idea behind infant baptism. Okay. From your perspective. Yeah. So I mean, I'm assuming then you hold pretty firmly to credo baptism position. What People, is the credo baptism position? Well, I I declare my faith in Christ and then am baptized after having also yes. called the believer's baptism. Right. Yes. Yes. Um. So, so I was credo baptized. I was 12 and, um, you know, I was going to a Baptist church, um, and, uh, so you kind of had to, uh, yep. And, um, and I, I remember that day and I remember it as an, an affirmation of my faith as a Christian. Um, so I, I had that experience, but then when, um, my husband and I had children, uh, I had read quite a bit about paid Pedo baptism and um, had been become convinced that that was it was theologically correct for a number of reasons. Um, one of which is baptisms. So I think the the general points of the position are one: uh, baptism is a sign of the new covenant in the way that circumcision was a sign of the old covenant. And I'm not sure if we need to talk about circumcision. <laughs> hey, this is getting to be a thing yeah. <laughs> on our podcast. Um, and the mark of the covenant was passed down from parents to children with the the explicit command to raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord and to instruct them in the faith under the old covenant. It seems very reasonable as a replacement of the old covenant. It would be enacted in the same way as the sign of the old covenant had been, that the children of believing parents would be presumed to be raised within the covenant and that they would have the mark of the covenant upon them. And if I understand if I understand the position correctly, infant baptism is essentially advocating that the Abrahamic covenant is still in effect. That's probably beyond my depth. Um, I, I think so. that I think that's the position. Okay. That, that's the theological language that's that surrounds that is that is that the Abrahamic covenant was not done away with, but that that it was in a sense that the 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 kingdom of God expands to encompass the Gentile believer. Yes, and we wouldn't okay, ask that, the Gentiles yeah. to be circumcised. circumcised so the because, sign of the covenant is because baptism. reasons. Yeah, but well, because this we the covenant has this is different so the mosaic covenant it's, it's has changed yeah. yeah the mosaic covenant is is done away with okay but the abrahamic so, covenant is sustained and that the if, if i again okay sorry continue so so yeah so so, so let me just ask okay you just got to finish your thought okay yeah go ahead so, yeah, yeah sorry um so that's one point mm -hmm. um that there are at least there's at least one and i think a couple of instances in Ah, the New Testament, where someone is converted by Paul's preaching, and I think Romans. Um, there's, I can't remember which chapter, fourteen maybe. Um, and he and his whole household were baptized. Well, you see this throughout Acts, um, right? You've got right, yeah. Yeah. Peter shows up at and, um, 
Who's the centurion? Um, the yeah, centurion's yeah. house. The centurion's house. But he's got a name. Anyway, he 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 believes yes. and the entire household is baptized. And, right. And, after the and there's a too. sense. Wives, women, children, slaves. And presumably. <laughs> Guess what, slaves? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're all getting baptized. Right. Yeah. Hey, at you, least we're not getting circumcised. <laughs> <laughs> you need to shout Ask anyway. Shechem and his tribe how they felt about that. Yeah, I'm <laughs> And and so that early practice in the church was to to baptize children and infants, um, and of course the earliest practice of the church, as far as um, our understanding of early church um, practices and the the early patristic writings, that infant baptism was immediately the custom of the church, which so seems it, a pretty a strong thing. authority to have come down um, from through from and through the apostles. Right. Um, yeah. So the that it was the historic practice whoa, 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 whoa. of the church from and through the apostles. I think is is so, a little bit of an. Ex- I I I don't know that we get that from the apostles, but we do get it from the early church fathers. Some, I guess it depends on how some we of whom apostles. were actually baptized by apostles. Some so okay, like so okay. like the earliest patristic writings are from people who were were at least reportedly sure, sure. Mm-hmm. directly discipled by apostles. Okay, so so I, I I don't know enough of the the details, but there's not an a there is no scripture that right says, right right right, right yeah the, the, the that prop, says right this is the proper right. right so so it's inference from. Um, from very long-standing tradition, from the yes. from early, early tradition. Yes. Sure. Um, and so if if most of the Christians that have ever lived um, have considered it the right practice, I think it's a safe default position at least. Um, not that it's not that it's above question, but I think it's a pretty safe default position. And it, it does seem um, reasonable with uh, as, as a sign of the new covenant. So... That's what convinced me. So would you say... I read a book or two about it. It's been a while. I figured you probably did, yeah. yeah. It's, it's been a while, though. So I don't feel fresh on the, on so, the theology of it So all. I have some questions. Yeah. Would, would you say... Would you expect um, credo-baptism to go alongside uh, pedo-baptism? I don't think you need to be rebaptized. If that's what you mean, that's like what I, I don't, mean. I don't think that my children will need to be rebaptized. Um, they they were they were baptized as a, a sign of faith, and uh, that that they would be members of the new covenant. I don't believe that if they then grew up to not follow God, that they'd somehow be magically saved by having had. This is where he goes back to the Abraham. Anybody is saying anything about magically saved, or like, or or if somebody is, I think they would be way off because clearly right. that's never been the case. Well, there or, was there was some have been fairly super treatment of baptism especially in late um the late middle ages in in roman catholic practice just prior to the reformation well what, what wasn't some, screwed up back uh, then? Yeah, yeah but there's some fairly yeah. there's some fairly i think i think the magical thing that you're talking about like there's a fair number of of churches today that that believe and it's not w- widely advertised but there's there's some churches out there that say if you aren't baptized you're not going to heaven well i'm absolutely fine with saying that they're just full of it well but we, are you sure uh because yeah. jesus told you to get baptized yeah so if you believe okay. so it seems like <laughs> so in so, the bible pretty clearly the it seems to be saying in every case like jesus was very specific about two things you should I think he was fairly specific about more than two, but... Well, there's two things that he specifically <laughs> told his believers to do, besides, of course, loving yes. people and being... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> All of that, like, wishy-washy, liberal nonsense. Moral yeah, doctrine whatever. of Christ. <laughs> <laughs> but he said um, to be baptized and to participate in the Lord's Supper. Eat, drink, and, and be merry. And, for and, and to room. baptize yeah. uh, the whole... What was it? The whole world? Baptize... Uh, uh, make disciples of all nations, that part? Yeah, make disciples of all nations and baptize them. Mm-hmm. Baptizing seems to go hand in hand with the conversion experience. It seems to be something that would be the first thing that would happen as see, a sign of see, the man, new covenant. Amanda's making right? a completely different argument. Amanda's saying that it's not a sign of the conversion experience. It is a sign of the covenantal promise of God. So this is... and and. 
interrupt me, Amanda, if I'm okay. if I'm explaining this in, improperly. But I think this I think is you my, probably understand the theology better than oh, I, do, I don't know even though I you don't agree the, with me. Uh, you, but. Uh, well, if you so first of all, this is just for anybody out there who doesn't know this already. If you're going to disagree with something, that's fine. But if you don't understand the op- opponent position mm-hmm. as well as the person that you're having the conversation with, mm-hmm. then you yeah. really have no argument debating it. And I actually, I feel in some ways that I understand the, the creedal baptism position better. better. That probably, than, <laughs> that makes than, sense. Right, because, I mean, I, I think there are very convincing arguments. Sure. Right, like what you said about it, it being a part of the conversion experience. Like the, there, there's a sense that those two things seem yeah. very Philip clearly. Philip and the eunuch is, I think, the the, right. the really strong. Right. Yeah. Support. But as them. strong as that instance is, where Philip, you know, they he's converted and he's immediately baptized. That if you're converted, you should be immediately baptized. But the other examples and acts of of households being baptized when one person is converted seems pretty clearly to say that. That the covenantal interpretation is very reasonable. That, that so it's two actually it's well, two different conversations. So I'm not creedal, saying. Go ahead. Baptism would, would say it's a conversion conversation when you come to a knowledge of faith and belief in Jesus Christ, you should be baptized. But the the infant Baptists would say uh, that this is not a question of this is not a, this is not a conversion question. These children are not magically converted. These children are not magically ushered into the kingdom. Although I think the 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 medieval understanding of what bap, what that baptism represents, especially is the medieval off. peasant understanding, but yes, well, especially some of the, the military. When you're mm-hmm. reading about this forcible you know, baptism, the Spanish the Spanish oh. armada going or not Spanish the conquistadors, armada, the conquistadors going in and smashing Native Americans' heads and babies' heads, but first they baptize them so they can go to heaven. Oh, good grief! Yeah. Um, oh, it's awful. Yeah, there's lots it's of awful. that that goes on. Yeah. Um, that ju- so they justify genocide by. By baptizing at least, them and at least them. we're sending them to heaven. Yeah, um, which never mind. We won't go down okay. the rabbit trail. the <laughs> The point is, is that it's a completely it's it. If understood properly, again, I, I could be wrong, but if understood properly, it's two completely different conversations. One is a conversation about the continuation of the Abrahamic covenant. That's why infant baptism is practiced. It's saying we are we are working from the standpoint, or we're working from the assumption that we are in a continuation of that Abrahamic covenant as the parents of this child and that they're going to, and we're ushering them into that covenant. Um, it's not that it's not tied to a conversion experience. That pedo baptism is not tied to a conversion experience. Although all pedo Baptists would say that if you're converted you should be as baptized. an adult, you should be baptized right, as an adult. But what's, so there are some things that are really interesting to me. Like I said, I was baptized when I was 12 and I went to a Baptist church, but I had a conversion experience in the in the long-standing evangelical tradition of getting down and asking Jesus into my heart when I was three, and nobody thought that it was important to baptize me at three when I said I believe in Jesus, right? It, and with my three-year-old understanding, which is necessarily much more limited than my twelve-year-old understanding, which is necessarily much more limited than my you know, almost 40 year old mm-hmm. understanding. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, there seems to be kind of an interesting disjunction in practice there where, um, you know, if you're, and, and I'm not all credo Baptist, but um, there, there just seems to be a like, okay, credo, but with an age of accountability, right. but we're not really sure what that is. And are we going to get that from, Abrahamic tradition and say that it's 13 or are we going to get it from well and well no and and that's exactly what I was going to say about the the, I'm going to get it from American tradition whatever the legal drinking age (laughs) and then you can be baptized baptized. and have the Lord's Supper at the same time because you can have the wine right yeah which we see that we see that interestingly enough uh, also in the evangelical church where parents will withhold the Lord's Supper from their children because they aren't of an age to participate in it with them with the right understanding, understanding. and and th- 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 that's problematic as well i i 100 percent think so um and the practice is important in and of itself the practice is important in and of itself and the partly because you then 
have to, if you take it seriously, you then have to actively and continuously instruct your children in it. Sure. You could withhold it and then, okay, you get confirmed um, if you're Catholic or Lutheran. Which, or Presbyterian. Um, do Presbyterians do, con- I don't think Presbyterians do confirmation. I think it's just Lutherans and. Okay, maybe not. I mean, I, know, I could be wrong. I know that they do. I'm not, uh, oh, what is it? What's it called? What's the little formal training called that the Catholics do? Uh, catechism. Catechism. They have yeah, yeah, Presbyterians yeah. Presbyterians have a catechism. Yeah, they do. So, okay, yeah. continue. Sorry. But I don't know if they do conference. Anyway, um, so, I mean, that was something that was very important to me also as just as a parent is um, introducing my kids to the Lord's Supper as soon as they were old enough mm-hmm, to partake mm-hmm. of it, which would be old enough to eat solid food so, and instructing them in it every time, even when they were clearly, you know, squirrely toddlers and didn't quite understand it. So one thing that, so one thing I would say, or... One, one thing I think is interesting about the, the practice is that I would say that for the most part, most folks who practice infant baptism mm-hmm. don't understand what it, don't understand it almost at all. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, which I also think that that's true of most folks who practice credo baptism. I don't know if I would I agree with that. Really? I exactly no, I think, I think credo either. baptism, there's a much cl- cl- better understanding of like, I'm getting baptized because I made a decision for Christ. Okay. I'm I'm like there's demarcation point of baptism. But could they articulate the and differences I'm not that between that covenant theology the and so I'm not suggesting well, that it invalidates the practice at all. Okay. Um but I do think that's a, a major problem for those who practice the infant baptism to do a better to do a better job under informing and saying, this is yeah. why we do this. Like you, <laughs> you obviously have thought about it. You're intentional. About I was going to say our sample size here says our, our pedo Baptists are very thoughtful, <laughs> but right. right. But would you, say, would you say that's been true of your experience? You know, I don't know that many people yeah. that are the, the few other pedo Baptists I know are, um, a couple of, of people I work with or students yeah, that, at that's my a school. Bad sample. I would say and, mainline churches by yeah. and large are not. Well, probably, but that gets into a larger right. question about mainline churches and liberal right. theology. And right. a lot of other things. Right. That right. Which doesn't mean that it invalidates the entire thing. You yeah. can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So uh-huh. can I can I give but a, can we baptize him with the bathwater? <laughs> <laughs> so if I were can I give a rebuttal, a slight oh, rebuttal? Absolutely. I, you can uh, so, so maybe maybe not in the well, okay. You say whatever you want. What? I would just no, like, go ahead. But like articulate the best of credo baptistic theology. Sure, sure. I think I think the best of of the of the theology it ties is tied back to the Reformation, and so that's really where the idea. Luther is paedo Baptist. He is paedo Baptist. So but is Luther Calvin. Is bas- Luther in, is basically a Catholic who got dismembered, and so dismembered is the wrong word. That is excommunicated. Wrong word. <laughs> yes. uh, he got excommunicated. I mean, Luther basically says, mm-hmm. "I was looking to just bring about." you know, reconciliation in the Catholic church. I wasn't trying to start my own thing. Um, so I don't know that Luther's, uh, Luther's positions necessarily on this issue are, are the, the entire reformation starts a movement where what, what we see in the reformation is for a thousand years, um, the, the Catholic church, and I'm speaking now about Roman Catholics Mm -hmm. had largely, um, had largely said, we don't want translations. You have to use the Latin Vulgate. And all of a sudden, all of these reformers come in and they start translating the Bible into the common tongue. And that's considered rep- reprobate. That's considered, you know, you, you can't do that. That's completely Well, you off. said for a thousand years, but actually that, that policy in the Catholic Church, um, the ex-cathedra proclamation that you had to use the Vulcate, Vulgate and you couldn't translate um, was very recent. When the reformers started their trans, it was 150 years old. I was looking at, I, I did okay. a little research beforehand. There was, there was something, it, it definitely dates back to the 1200s. Right. So, so, so when we get Wycliffe that's four and in five, th- 1350. Sure, sure. When he, he's doing his translation, it was a, it was a fairly recent thing and it, it was, be, it was, Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, you, I feel like I'm cutting you off. No, that that I, I hear I hear what you're saying, but the, the the entire like they're fighting back against like momentum that's been building. So there there is the so like okay, so another example would be the Pope. The Pope is instilled, and the entire Reformation comes back and goes, "Wait a minute, where is?" that idea and if you talk to catholics if you talk to roman catholics they're going to be like well that comes back it goes to back peter. to peter but if you look at if you look at history there's no yep. pope 
per se until like Constantine shows up and says, oh, we're going to give the bishop like the Bastille, you know, or whatever, the Bishop of Rome. And then about 400 or 500 um, AD, you have like a formal like election for the Pope and all that kind of stuff. So there's a thousand years there of a policy of, of a Pope being instilled. And then the reformers come in and say, time out. We don't, we don't necessarily. Need. So even though we do have the preponderance of Christian history to support infant baptism, I think that because, um, because believers baptism is born out of the reformation, I think that's, that does give it some significant. Um, yeah. Form. So um, it, it is an idea a lot of that is that... brought about by the reformation, right. not an idea that was brought about by 20th century evangelists per se. Right, right, yeah. right, 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 yeah, right. Yeah. That's all I'm I mean, trying. It's, it's the last quarter of Christian history. Right. It's an idea not that's been around for the last five minutes. Life. Right. It's an right, idea that's right, been right. around for four or yeah. 500 years, not an idea that's been around for 50. Right. So I think that's one. Although the, the most significant reformers didn't, didn't. The ag- name brand reformers, the Luthers and the Calvins. The, the magisterial reformers. Yes. As they're called. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, but again, because it's a continuation of right. thought in the same way that Luther wouldn't have rejected the Pope. Well, you mean the whore of Babylon? The whore of Babylon? He, be, the individual. The Antichrist? The individual. No, he, he eventually called the the papal office. Did he really? The Antichrist. Yeah. Uh, okay. And it, his his beef wasn't with Leo the But that was not uh, that was not until he was completely kicked out of the church. Right. So <laughs> so Luther so thought Leo Luther's, how he felt about Luther's that. emotional <laughs> swing, a lot of his stuff his decisions, I well, don't know. Well, his his thought developed so significantly um even you know, there's sermons that he preached in in 1514 and 1515 mm. that are nearly diametrically opposed to the sermons he preaches in 1519 and it had to do with so his his doctoral studies when he he becomes a doctor of theology it was through studying the traditional catholic uh you know area of study which is where you read well you read Abelard's Peter Abelard's sentences and write your own commentary on them. Mm-hmm. So all those theses, and then you write your own argument, and then you become a doctor of theology. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until he had become doctor of theology and was installed as a priest in Wittenberg, and then see more V's. It's the Germans that did it to <laughs> us. Um, uh, installed as a priest at Wittenberg, and he had to start preaching. Mm-hmm. That he really began studying the scripture, right, and um, began to understand the scripture. And so there's this, yeah, there's a big development, and I, the biggest development in his theology comes um, in 1519, 1520, 1521, when he's. Um, stuck up in the Vortberg, another I, now and uh, after now after the diet of just, worms, right? The diet of worms. The, the, yes, yes. Where he uh, so he he's stuck in the castle at Vort, uh, the Vortberg castle, and he's doing his translation, mm. where um, he's using all the tools that the the early Renaissance humanist men of letters had invented all of these tools for textual criticism, and then. Um, had they'd begun to apply them to the Bible and then the Pope freaked out and, right. and then, yeah. So, so, so we've kind of gotten off track a little bit here. We really? were talking about <laughs> do we ever baptism do so, so, and you are going to so make the a point, point you're trying to make, I think was that, that, uh, even though some of the, the significant reformers did not take this view right. and I'm saying, I'm saying I'm, you're this saying is an that idea that's comes rooted out. in yeah. the Reformation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that would be my first argument. And my, we can not quibble about yeah. Yeah. And then Historical my details. second, yeah, we could quibble about can, who and can, where and how. Can you and do when. me a really big favor? Yeah. Can you please take these candies away <laughs> from me? <laughs> Thank you. Are they dangerous? Uh, uh, um, I would say, I don't know that I have a, uh, I think the, the second piece of it would be simply, and I, I, I so if, let me start by, by acknowledging that there are passages in the New Testament that suggest that entire households. Mm-hmm are are baptized and what that means and the significance of that i think is it has to be dealt with so you can't just be dismissive of that um i have real questions about is is that one of those things that's cultural right rather than uh is it establishing a normative practice exactly or is it just because i would say in the same way that we would we would say it's inappropriate to have slaves (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that it would be inappropriate for me to make a faith religion choice for my entire household right. and my entire business. Like, so David, you run a business. You just had your 
You, oh yeah. So yeah, <laughs> I just had a company retreat last week, and yeah, we just we had a uh, a baptism there, and everybody got the opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to be a team player, <laughs> you're part of the team now. So and and I realize it's not new territory to apples, in team building, exercises. but in the same way that like they're yeah. your employees, they're not your slaves. Yeah, we were right down at the lake. <laughs> <laughs> your choices are baptism or circumcision. Choose wisely. Um, and uh, I, so I, I have some questions about that, and but but they're questions that I hold very loosely. Like I, I'm not going to sit here and be like, "Well, <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's just wrong, right?" To to have to baptize like I sin somehow by right, yeah. right. But I, but I think it's an interesting question. Yeah. I uh, having said that, I think that what what we see in the New Testament is a very close tie to so Jesus, for example, is baptized. Mm-hmm. So why? Why Jesus was baptized? He, so he was circumcised as a child, mm-hmm. and then he's baptized as a man. So the circumcision of the Abrahamic covenant is in effect, but the baptism is also. And then all those Jewish believers who were circumcised mm-hmm. now have to get baptized. baptized. So I, 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 and again, may I may need to read about it more and understand it more, but I don't. I, I see. It seems to be that there. It, it, what I'm comfortable with in when I read the New Testament is that there is a belief piece to this that um, that we 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 can read clearly. Um, so I would tie baptism more to belief than I would tie it to the covenant, right. and that's just my understanding. Having said that, I want to tell a quick story um, that I think is a good compromise. Um, R.C. Sproul Jr. just did a, a interview with Preston Sprinkle on his podcast, and R.C. Sproul Jr. very his father is one of the better known reformed uh, theologians and thinkers of the last um, century. And so Presbyterian, mm-hmm. Beto Baptist, and he uh, three years ago had a very high profile uh, DUI, was dismissed, R.C. Jr., was dismissed from his position or stepped down from his position at uh, the college that he was a professor at and mm-hmm. uh, and has, has had to to, to do some significant um, work in Re- his life. Re- rebuilding his life. Yeah. He, and and there's a joke there about, I don't want to talk about it. I don't know how to make it, but... It <laughs> right. um, but he is talking about it. And he... Uh, I really appreciated um, his, uh, his candor and his humility as he talked about that process. And the upshot of it was that because of the community that he had been part of, he uh, ended up leaving that... that uh, that community and that that job and found a new church and ended up in a Mennonite church. Oh wow. Which they're they're believer Baptists. They're well they're the to- original Anabaptists. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're the original Anabaptists. So yeah. they are the antithesis. Mm-hmm. And so what he did is he went to his elders after he had joined the church, formally joined the church and had come underneath church discipline and told them what had what was going on and they were formally in a process of, of restoring him. Um, and he said, okay, so here's the deal, guys. I'm a paedo-baptist and if you think I need to be baptized, I will do it. Mm-hmm. And they, they were like, uh, we think you're good. Yeah. <laughs> And I really appreciated that mm-hmm. that kind of give and take there, where he put he was willing to submit himself to the authorities right. that he the church that he was attending, and say, "Look, this is between like I'm I, my job is to submit myself to the authority of the church, and the authority of my leadership, and the authority of my eldership is these men who believe this way, and if they're wrong on this, that's between them and God." Right. And God will be merciful to them, but my job is to submit myself to, mm-hmm. to these leaders. And so that was a great amount of humility on his part. And then for them to go ahead and say, yeah, we don't, we don't think you, you get it. Me. Like you yeah. get it. I'm not worried about it. And yeah. I think that that really um, sums up kind of the, the place that I'm at with, mm-hmm. with this debate is I'm not willing to go out and like get into a big argument and be like, Yeah. You have to be rebaptized, right? Um, but if somebody came to me and they had been infant baptized, and then they wanted to be rebaptized, I would have no issue with that whatsoever. Would you have a conversation with them about it? Like, I, why do you feel like you need to be rebaptized? What is it that 
you know. Yeah. So we have a member of our church actually who she was uh, brought up in a mainline church mm-hmm. and her, her folks were very frustrated with her when she chose to be baptized right. as an adult. And Which she, I can, I can, I think understand. Yeah. And she says, John, I, I, or not John, but she, in the conversations that we've had about this topic, she's like, nothing about my, my church experience as a child, my parents' faith, anything of that life mm-hmm. was transferred. So there was no covenantal understanding mm-hmm. in the the practice or action mm-hmm. that was uh, that was completed in her mm-hmm. life, and so, in a sense, it was it was empty water, um, in the sense because it was just right. It was. Ju- it, I, I would I would compare it to like somebody who has been uh, ceremonially married, but there's been no consummation of the wedding. That that can be annulled. Mm-hmm. legally you yeah. can annul mm-hmm. that wedding and um i would say in in a sense that was that was her understanding so I, she didn't use that language yeah but and i don't i mean i think that there's a there's a part of that i would want to push back on just philosophically not personally um yeah. in that but there's in is the experience about my sense of it is it my personal sense of what happened the interpretive lens to go through or does the is baptism truly a sacrament something that has power apart from my own emotional or experiential connection to that um and i mean i think it pretty sure i know what luther would say about that um i just i keep bringing luther up i just taught the Lutheran Reformation in school. So, so it's all, all it's all just like right in, yeah. Um, and then the other thing I would say is that, you know, we're very time bound in this conversation. Mm-hmm. We're, we're very much creatures living um, through time and looking at the baptism at the moment that it comes as needing to coincide with belief is is a very time bound concept. And I think that the sense that that God acts inside and outside of time raises, I think, some interesting questions about belief and and the state of all things in the end. So that's a very cryptic thing to say. I'm not even end. touching that. I'm not even. I can't even go. There. I don't even know <laughs> no? what you're talking about. I know what she's talking about. And I'm not even going there. <laughs> God sees the end from the beginning. So there we go. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um. Yeah, I, I, I agree with what you're saying about who gets to define what counts. Yeah. Um, this is where I think, the, this is where my question was kind of coming from earlier where I said, what about what about the people who are practicing it but don't actually understand what they're practicing? Right. Um, and so I, I think I think that that's a real problem. Mm-hmm. If, if, if you can just spit, if you just do the right things but it makes... <laughs> Yeah, so you you sprinkle the water and you and you invoke the Trinity, but there's no belief. So in the moment, there's no right. belief meeting the moment. It, like no one involved in the process is entering into it. Yeah. So going back to like 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 so let's just say for the sake of, we had to wrap this, but if a Jewish man or woman or family uh, circumcises their son and then marries their son off to a foreigner. <laughs> They've just invalidated the entire process of setting their son aside covenant covenantally. They've they've done the right thing in one sense, and then they've invalidated in the it flesh. In the flesh, yeah. And I would say that that is that was my friend's experience uh, growing up, where she was like, "Okay, so they did the right thing, but then they gave me very little to actually work with in terms of that covenantal faith right. understanding." And so when I came to know the Lord, right. I literally was starting over. I was starting mm-hmm. fresh. And that's the whole purpose of baptism is is to separate yourself from your old life and say, I'm following Jesus. If you believe in believers yeah, baptism. Say, the, the credo baptist yes. position. The, yeah. whole, the whole point of it is. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. So. There, I, I, there's the disagree. There's well, the that's where argument we, in we, a nutshell. We disagree there. Yep. So. Yeah. That's very fascinating. I don't think we've come to any conclusion, but it was a pretty good conversation. I hope so. Yeah. Um, We've been chatting for a while here. A long time. And I bet that our our friends, our our podcasting listening friends, are thinking to themselves, are they 
ever going to oh, shed it. Who knows? Say something are. funny or interesting instead right. of rambling on forever. Yeah. yeah. So, John, what do you have for us for music today? Um, so the song that I keep, it's the silliest little song, that I, but we keep on listening to it in our family. And um, it's its a, uh, uh, a little hit that's on the, the local Christian hip-hop station. But it's called, um, what is it called? <laughs> I don't remember the name. the The artist is called Peabod, and I'll find the name and give it to David so we get the right Peabod. the right song in here. Okay, but this is great. Yep. So Peabod. we've been playing it a lot. So in Sherman, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's something else. <laughs> Peabod, uh, shoot from the hip. Nope. I'll find it. Left nope. out. Side mm. hustle. I don't think it's side hustle. <laughs> that really sounds. Yeah, the Christian radio station here is playing some <laughs> some rough tracks these days. Alrighty, well, we'll be listening to some Peabod here on the way out. Well, thanks for getting together and chatting today, friends, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Yeah, if it's my party, everybody is invited. This ain't a click or an in crowd. Ain't nobody getting left out Just be yourself and bring a friend and get excited yeah. There ain't gonna be no doubts uh. Ain't nobody getting left out Yeah, ain't nobody getting left out This is my house Friends are what the sweet life is about Dr. Cole Sprouse When I treat you like my twin, everybody wins I see that grin, where you been? Let the night begin I wanna make the circle too big to have fringes Good community means kicking doors off the hinges And if it gets cringy, won't hide like a ninja I'ma lift you up like that's my boy Simba You got fear of missing out, call it FOMO FOMO can make a bro feel like he's loco I rap in slow-mo to make sure you